You're listening to the N2K Space Network. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. If you've got knee injuries, or those knees of yours just straight up aren't like what they used to be, I've got two words for you today. Space knees. Yes, space knees. We'll explain. T-minus. 20 seconds to LOS. Today is September 7th, 2023. I'm Maria Varmazes, and this is T-minus. Redwire Biofabrication says they've successfully bioprinted the first human knee meniscus on the ISS. The U.S. tests an unarmed Minuteman 3 ICBM at Vandenberg Space Force Base. And the U.S. Space Force has a new mission statement. And our guest today is Scott McLaughlin, Executive Director of the New Mexico Spaceport Authority, the state agency that manages Spaceport America. Their anchor tenants, Virgin Galactic, launches again tomorrow... So stay with us for that chat. On to today's Intel briefing and back to Space Knees. One day you, my friend, may be able to have your very own knee from space. Today, Redwire Biofabrication says they've successfully bioprinted their first human knee meniscus on the International Space Station. That pesky meniscus, or should I say menisci, as we all usually have two of them in each knee, they are C-shaped cartilage, the kind of rubbery shock absorbers in the knee, and it is way too darn easy to tear them playing sports or just wear them down from living life. And if yours is kaput and you need a totally new one, there are synthetic ones or donor ones from cadavers. And now space knees have entered the scene. Of the bioprinted meniscus aboard the ISS, Redwire Executive VP John Vellinger had this to say. This is a groundbreaking milestone with significant implications for human health. Demonstrating the ability to successfully print complex tissue, such as this meniscus, is a major leap forward towards the development of a repeatable microgravity manufacturing process for reliable bioprinting at scale. Don't call your orthopedist just yet, though. This one print 
is still an experiment, and it took 14 days up on the ISS to culture. Still, microgravity is proving to be a promising spot for the development of regenerative medicine and bioprinting tissues, like the meniscus, and Redwire says their next research payload to the ISS in November with the CRS-29 resupply mission will have an experiment to bioprint cardiac tissue. Very cool. So yeah, that's space knees. And what better way to relieve the aches and pains of living than mutually assured destruction? Yeah, I don't know how to gracefully transition this one. On to intercontinental ballistic missiles now. Yesterday, an unarmed... Minuteman 3 ICBM launched from Vandenberg Space Force Base in California at 1.26 a.m. Pacific time. After reaching suborbital space, the missile, again unarmed, deployed three undisclosed reentry vehicles that splashed down in the Marshall Islands in the Pacific. It was a test. It was only a test. Last time the Space Force conducted such a test was actually almost a year ago today. And as we said in yesterday's show, there are also three mystery launches happening on the other coast in Florida this week. So Space Force is pretty busy right now, we wager. Seems like a good time for them to roll out a new mission statement then. Yeah, and that mission statement, short and sweet, is this. To secure our nation's interests in, from, and to space. Hopefully that cures up some confusion about what the Space Force does. Yes? No? Space Force went through pains to say that this new mission statement was a crowdsourced effort from within the Space Force and from actively serving Guardians themselves, not the Pentagon or, worst of all, corporate marketing. Switching gears slightly now, the Space Force Development Agency has issued a solicitation for a prototyping effort of the proliferated warfighter space architecture Tranche 2 tracking layer. Known as the T2 tracking layer, the prototyping effort will accelerate the capability to provide global persistent indications, detection, warning, tracking, and identification of conventional and advanced missile threats, including hypersonic missile systems. It will also demonstrate a missile defense capability by incorporating fire control quality sensors in the constellation. The scope includes the procurement and deployment of 54, and possibly more, space vehicles with infrared sensors in six orbital planes. Additional prototyping of satellites and sensor payloads may also occur under this solicitation in order to inform requirements and constellation design. The fully deployed tracking layer is estimated to include more than 100 space vehicles in low Earth orbit across multiple planes. Interested companies have until October 5th to get their offers in. NOAA's National Environmental Satellite Data and Information Service, known as NESDIS, will host a commercial data program industry day on November 16th at the Silver Spring Civic Building in Maryland. Topics will include the purpose, function, status, and plans of the commercial data program, including operational data purchases and data pilot projects with commercial radio occultation data and other potentially valuable observations for NOAA. More details can be found in our show notes at space.n2k.com. Space software company Antares has closed a preferred seed funding round of 3.5 million U.S. dollars. With this new capital, Antares now has raised nearly $10 million dollars significantly exceeding original seed stage investment targets. Antares was recently awarded a contract to support the U.S. Department of Defense and is preparing to launch its second technology demonstration satellite, the Janus-2, in the coming months. 
There's been an upset at Blue Origin, with some employees taking to social media to announce their layoffs from the company. Although Blue has not officially announced the move, the reduction in workforce appears to be focused in the areas of human resources and talent acquisition. Initial postings on social media platforms indicate that the affected employees have been given the opportunity to apply for different roles before the end of their tenure. We'll let you know if we hear any more. Relativity Space has increased its footprint at NASA's Stennis Space Center to nearly 300 acres with a recent lease agreement for a vertical test stand at the A2 complex. This agreement marks the first time a commercial tenant has modernized an underutilized legacy test stand at the NASA facility. The test stand was constructed in 1966 to test and flight certify the second stage of the Saturn V, the launch vehicle for the Apollo program, of course, and was later used for engine testing for the space shuttle program. The A2 stand has sat unused for nearly a decade. Relativity says it plans to invest $267 million into Stennis and create hundreds of new jobs in the region over the next four years to support the Terran R program development. The UK and European Union haven't been on the best of terms since Brexit, to put it politely, but it seems that the alliance is thawing, at least in terms of space participation. Starting today, September 7th, UK scientists will have access to the world's largest research collaboration program, Horizon Europe. They had been excluded from participating since leaving the EU, but UK researchers can now apply for grants and bid to take part in projects under the Horizon program until it ends in 2027. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak secured a bespoke deal with financial terms for the UK's participation. The deal also extends to participating in Copernicus, the European Earth Observation Program. This will provide the UK's Earth observation sector with access to data to help with early flood and fire warnings, among other things, and with the ability to bid for contracts. SLIM and CRISM are spacebound. An H-2A rocket carrying JAXA payloads, the Smart Lander for Investigating Moon, or SLIM, and the X-ray Imaging and Spectroscopy Mission, or CRISM, launched from Japan's Tanegashima Space Center yesterday. Thirteen minutes after the launch, CRISM was put into orbit around Earth. CRISM will measure the speed and makeup of what lies between galaxies, and SLIM will take another three to four months to reach lunar orbit. There's no set date yet on when JAXA plans to attempt a landing. And as you likely heard earlier this week, India successfully launched its solar observation spacecraft, the Aditya L1, last week. The vehicle has sent back an image of Earth and the Moon as it continues its journey outside the planet to Lagrange Point 1. It also shared a selfie. <laughs> Aditya L1 is India's first solar observatory mission. We've added a link to those images in our show notes, along with links to further reading on all the stories we've mentioned in today's show. You can find them and more at space.n2k.com and just click on this podcast episode. AT Minus Crew, if your business is looking to grow your voice in the industry, expand the reach of your thought leadership, or recruit talent, T Minus can help. We'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at space at n2k.com or send us a note through our website so we can connect about building a program to meet your goals.
And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Our guest today is Scott McLaughlin, Executive Director of the New Mexico Spaceport Authority, the state agency that manages Spaceport America. They've recently released an economic impact report. And I started off by asking Scott about the highlights from this report. The, the report uh, is only for uh, 2022. So it was just a one-year estimate of economic impact. And a lot of people say that economic impact is always positive, meaning if you do something, you always kind of get something out of it. So it's, it's hard to gauge. Um, you know, what is, what is the, the correct amount that you'd expect at this time? But what it shows on, on, the, on the summary is what it shows is we have about 811 jobs that are from the spaceport's existence. That includes what are called direct, indirect, and induced. Um, and I can explain that more if you'd like. And then the total value added is about $60 million, And that's, the, that's kind of the raw input into the economy. And then there's another number about double that, which is sort of the, the money that get, gets reused. But the $60 million is really kind of the, the, the big, the big uh, thing that we want to focus on in the jobs. Sure. Okay. So the, you said, uh, I'm going to see if I remember, direct, indirect, and then induced, if I remember? Right. Well, in economic terms, direct are the, are the jobs that are directly connected with the economic activity, whatever it is. So if you build a McDonald's, the people who are working for McDonald's are the direct employees. So they're the ones directly working for them. Induced has to do with uh, the people who show up and work on the ice coolers and the air conditioner and, and maybe pave the, the parking lot. And then, and then the, I'm sorry, that was the indirect. And then the induced are, for example, now that you have employees in the area, they have to go shopping. So you eventually have to hire some extra full-time equivalents at the grocery store. Some of these are direct numbers. Like the direct value is is um, measured directly from Virgin Galactic, our, our our primary customer at the spaceport, not our only customer, but our primary primary one. And then the other ones are estimated through something called Implan, which is a commonly used model that tries to model uh, economic impact uh, impacts. So, a very interesting study. It was done by New Mexico State University, um, part of their Center for Border Economic Development, and so we had some real PhD economist who worked on this. And so we're going to try and do one every year. And I'm curious, um, in terms of what it means for you at Spaceport America, like w when you saw the report, did that crystallize something in your mind? Like, oh yeah, that's what, we, we sort of had a sense of this, but now we know we have a number to attach to it. What was that takeaway for you? Well, there were two things. As an electrical engineer turned business person, I was doing back of the envelope calculations on economic impact. So it was actually good to see that my estimates through my reading on on economic impacts were, were pretty close. And that was the first thing. And the second thing was, thank goodness uh, that we have that kind of impact. But this is just for 2022. It's not a cumulative thing. But what it shows is that we're having significant um, activity 
you know, in the in the region. But I, I look at it as a cautionary tale because the spaceport was dreamed about in the 90s after the Onseri X Prize and, and Scale Composites won it. And then our governor, Richardson, um, you know, may he rest in peace. He just died, but he he made a deal with Sir Richard Branson in, in 2004, 2005. And then the spaceport, you know, began to be built in 2006. You know, we had to get an FAA license. We had to get... Um, the New Mexico Spaceport Authority had to be created by the legislature. I work for um, the state of New Mexico. So, you know, our economic impact is good. I'm very happy with it. But it's a cautionary tale to all of those people all around the world who are working on building commercial spaceports that this is not easy. Um, you got to have the right set of ingredients and you better have some patience, too, because it, it takes a while. You know, as we know, space is hard. And then I said the other day, spaceporting is hard. It's hard to do this. And so these are good numbers, but a lot of people would say in the state that, well, we've waited, you know, almost 20 years for those good numbers, so they better be good. Um, in the meantime, there's an opportunity cost with that money. That money that the state of New Mexico spent could have been spent on something else. You mentioned one of your, your customers, so that's Virgin Galactic, very famously launching from Spaceport America. And now they're picking up the cadence this year. So next year's report is going to be really interesting after uh, all this increased cadence from Virgin Galactic. So I'd be very curious to hear about how your customer, Virgin Galactic, is their increasing flight cadence, how that's affecting Spaceport America, and maybe how operations might be changing. Walk us through that. Yeah. We expect a lot more impact because of their monthly activities. And, of course, what they've said in, in 2025, 2026, they expect to be delivering the Delta-class version of spaceships which will hopefully increase their cadence to um, more than once a month. We'll start talking once a week, for example. So we're in two or three years, we could talk about real impact. Of course, we have other customers um, that, that come and go at the spaceport. Some are there for months at a time. Some are there for weeks at a time. So we also count that impact. And then even the Spaceport America Cup, which is uh, once a year, you know, a very large event, we count that impact too. But Part of, you know, uh, we're trying to do with the spaceport is, is we got the jobs and we've got the, the, we now have some direct impact, but we're also focused on this idea of building an aerospace ecosystem in the area, which is something we've started to call Space Valley. I don't know if you've heard about that. A little bit. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about that? That's a really interesting idea. Yeah. You know, this is, this is the interesting part. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm an engineer by training, as I said, and I've, and I've worked at, um, at, at test ranges and spaceports, and then I got on the business side. And so that's kind of how I got into this job. And it's taken me a while once I, once I got this job to really see where, where the puzzle pieces are and what, what fits in and how they fit in. And really what I'm, what I'm realizing now is, again, the people that studied whether a spaceport could be in New Mexico in the 90s, they weren't just focused on putting in a spaceport. They were focused on creating a keystone-type activity in the state that could build the whole aerospace ecosystem. And, and that, by the way, is part of the cautionary tale, because if you look at some of the other spaceports that are being proposed or even some that are being built right now in the country and around the world, they really don't have the opportunity for a complete aerospace ecosystem. They're, they're going to be able to do launch and they're going to have some businesses that might form around the spaceport. But what makes New Mexico unique is, you know, from Los Alamos to El Paso, as I've been saying, you know, we've got great universities. We've got aerospace um, activities from the federal government um, in several different places, the Air Force Research Lab, um, the DOE Laboratories, Los Alamos and Sandia, um, White Sands Missile Range. And so you add in the spaceport and what you have now is a place where you can launch um, vertically, horizontally, and eventually come down back down to earth because we're working on our FAA reentry license right now. So 
this economic impact is really cool, but I'm, I'm really hoping it will be, you know, talk to me in five years and, and five or 10 years and we'll see something really spectacular, I think. That's really exciting. And there's a lot of wisdom in what you've been saying for, I'm sure, many of our listeners who are actively working right now on getting Spaceport up and running and wherever they're listening from. Any words of wisdom for people who are maybe in the process right now of trying to figure out if the, a spaceport can work where they are trying to get it done? What we're seeing, you know, is, is every spaceport seems to have its own little fingerprint of what makes it a great place and maybe not such a great place, right? If you're on the coast um, and you can launch to the east, you have, you have this incredible ability to launch over water, which right now is still important. You know, rockets are not considered as safe as a, as a jet or a lander flying directly over Overhead, so you need that option, you know, to, you know, do a rapid, unscheduled destruction over water, as they say, do a rut. You can't do that if you're going to fly over, you know, if you're going to launch from the middle of the United States. So, as much as I'd like the Spaceport America to be able to launch to orbit, I don't know of any vehicles yet that can do that. One of the things we're focused on are horizontal, also because I think the failure modes are better. If you've got wings and you need to, you need to turn around and come back home, you have a few more options than if you've got engines on a vertical rocket. So. But when you look at every spaceport, they all have their great attributes. You know, um, Alaska can launch over water and, and go uh, north-south. You got Wallops, they were launching over water. Um, so uh, in this early stage of spaceports, we're finding that different spaceports are going to concentrate on different things. They're going to try and find a way to exist and to pay for themselves. And um, some states are very uh, supportive and they put money into the spaceport. Some states are saying, well, fine, it's okay to exist, but we're not going to put a lot of money into it because they, they don't see that maybe there's a future. So again, uh, you know, great numbers, but I, I think this year, but again, a cautionary tale as to, as to how commercial spaceports are going to grow across the, the country and the world. Hmm. It's going to be interesting. It, it's, it's a very interesting time right now. I'm, I'm really excited and interested in seeing what's happening. Um, and I'm just curious, uh, as, you, as you look ahead to the future, any thoughts on, as you said, in five years, when we get back to you on what's going on, like what, what do you think Spaceport America is going to look like five years from now? Well, we, we're definitely focused on some of um, the, the possible launch systems that could launch orbitally from Spaceport America. And um, so, you know, there's something like four or five or six private space stations being worked on right now. And of course, we're going back to the moon. There's a lot more space tourism that could happen in space. People are talking about mining in space. And, and as I mentioned, we're working on a reentry license. So, um, you know, potentially a capsule or, or the Sierra Space Dream Chaser vehicle might be able to come back to Spaceport America. So if you kind of fast forward a little bit and you look at the, what could be happening in space, you're talking about having to bring a lot of people and a lot of cargo up into space and to bring a lot of stuff home. So there's, there's a lot of pressure on the Eastern Range, you know, the Cape Canaveral, to do all that work right now. And of course, they have one major customer, SpaceX, who, who has who got there first and is doing a great job and they're able to come and they're take off and they're able to land. Well, at some point, there's going to be, you know, many more launch providers that need to do the same thing. So the Spaceport America, we think, is well positioned that when they design a vehicle that's safe enough, you could, you could launch and, and land at Spaceport America. And, and something's going to have to give because the amount of cargo, again, that's going to have to go to space over the next 10 years is is kind of phenomenal. We'll be right back. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. 
Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and Zero Trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their SASE journey, visit netskope.com. Welcome back. Now, a little follow-up for all of us cheering on the revenge of the dinosaurs. Remember NASA's fantastic double asteroid redirection test, or DART, mission last year? To jog your memory if you forgot, that was the successful proof of concept where they slammed a spacecraft into the asteroid Dimorphos to change its orbit around its parent asteroid Didymos. And indeed, the mission was a success. DART slamming into Dimorphos demonstrably shortened its orbit around Didymos. Well, next year, ESA is launching their own probe, equipped with LIDAR and optical and thermal cameras, as well as two little CubeSats with radar and near-infrared capabilities, to take a look at DART's aftermath up close. And that mission is called HERA, currently in the final stages of preparation in Bremen, Germany, with an expected launch in October of next year. And if that schedule holds, it'll take a look at what we hath wrought on Dimorphos in late 2026. That would be a mere four years after the slamming. And all those sensors aboard HERA, and on those two little CubeSats, Juventus and Miliani, will provide a truly detailed look at Dimorphos. Not just the surface truth, but also the internals, its structure and mineral compositions and the like. And it'll be the very first time humanity will use a radar probe on an asteroid. That is a pretty neat first. And I know it's a super cool guy thing to put on your sunglasses and walk away from an explosion that you caused that's happening behind you. But come on, isn't it just a little tempting to see exactly how badly we messed up Dimorphos? Darn right it is. That's it for T-Minus for September 7th, 2023. For additional resources from today's report, check out our show notes at space.n2k.com. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like T-Minus are part of the daily routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector. From the Fortune 500 to many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. This episode was produced by Alice Carruth. Mixing by Elliot Peltzman and Trey Hester, with original music and sound design by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producer is Brandon Karp. Our chief intelligence officer is Eric Tillman. And I'm Maria Varmazis. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. 
Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks, and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. <laughs> 